Before we start, today's episode has content that might be classified as mature, for some definition of the word mature. While not explicit, we do discuss a number of sexual topics. Because of the topics we've gone over, and the way we handled them in the interview, and during the follow-up questions and... Poorly. <laughs> thank you. We've generally agreed this episode doesn't warrant being flagged as an explicit episode for iTunes purposes, but you may want to hold off listening to this one if mature content might be an issue or whatever it is the content we have here is. Nobody says beep, beep, or beep. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'll save that one for the ringtone collection. Mm. <laughs> now then, hide your ears. Okay. So, be honest with me, is that the first time anybody's heard the theme intro? Yes. No, thanks. I appreciate that, Ashtar. <laughs> Welcome to Radio Free Demos, an Ixendraconis fan podcast broadcasting for as long as humanly possible, or whatever, from Asaph Hall at Lake Voltaire on Demos. Demos! This Valentine's Day, brave the weird climate shifts to take your significant other to the new automated steakhouse, Odinies. I understand they just about solved the problem of the wine boiling off into the vacuum of space, so yay for them. And also tissue rejection. <laughs> this is Radio Free Demos, episode 34. 20 questions you always wanted to know about vector, quote, relationships, unquote, but were afraid to ask. How many of them are about hyenas? One. Good. Good start. HSD's author, Pierce Frazier, agreed to open up a box of forbidden topics for this very special Valentine's Day episode. There's a lot of questions we know people have been asking since the day the game was released on Kickstarter. So I hope this is as much fun for you as it was for us to record. Now, on to the questions. Okay, so our special guest tonight is HSD's author, Pierce Frazier, a.k.a. Sev. Hello, hello. Yo. Happy pre-Valentine's Day. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. So the HSD game is generally kind of canon light, and the lore book gives the the game guides the power to decide what's in the game's continuity. It's fairly flexible there. So nothing we're saying tonight is canon. Is that fair? Yeah, um, it's actually kind of worth noting specifically for things related to romance and sex and, and gender identity and all sorts of things that, um, well, it's not always the case in every setting that I may ever create. You know, I don't typically swear to, to any given one thing. HSD specifically is designed to allow you to be in an environment you want to be in. So I give you uh, some guidelines for, for canon. There's some things that have taken place, but how dark you want to make it, how cryptic you want to make it, how adventurous you want to make it, and to a degree, of course, uh, how accepting and or foreboding you want to make it is all up to the tone you want to set. So I wouldn't necessarily consider yourself bound by anything I say or do today. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, you do have the power to declare something canon if you so choose. Well, I mean, I could, but I would just as soon say, feel free to ignore it. <laughs> I do that all the time anyway. So let's get to the questions. Tonight's episode is going to be 20 questions about vector, quote, relationships, unquote, that you're afraid to ask. If you didn't hear at the top of the header, it is going to be a not safe for work episode, but still, I hope, informative and interesting and patently absurd. The number one most frequently asked question is some variation of this. 
Let's say you're going to go buy slinky frilly under things for your hyena girlfriend or your horse boyfriend. Is there anything you have to explain to the Vanessa's secret sexy sales associate before you make your purchase? Um, not, I would think, specifically any more than you would uh, at any kind of lingerie shop. The, 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 they're going to ask you the same sort of sets of questions, right? What are they into? What do they like? What kind of style are you going for sort of thing? To a degree, you'd, you'd probably expect some form of... I guess you would call it racial profiling, but that's not really a major theme in HSD because everybody kind of came from the same block and the same set of science that put them all together. Uh, you might come with the odd employee that says, oh, you know, cats are kind of into this or something like that, but it's it's more of a personal opinion than than anything that you could ever really pin down through statistics. Well, and the, the subtext of this question is that hyenas are very complicated and horses are very large. <laughs> so that was more the issue is, uh, well, when is Pulse going to release that reclaimed genitalia surgery, basically? <laughs> they probably have it. Um, actually, Pulse wouldn't necessarily. So the, from a physical standpoint, at least according to initial design documents, um, the thought was that everything runs off a fairly human uh, set of overall proportions, but probably has different appearances just because it, it helps stick to the... Um, I would call it the separation of one species to the other. One of the things that the scientists were supposed to kind of be wrestling with, this is mentioned a little bit in Core Extended, is that they had to create a species that was at once unique and recognizable, um, that didn't feel like a lesser version of something, but also didn't immediately affront anybody else. So they had this, this kind of juggle that they were trying to do when they made the species. This is why monkeys didn't end up in, in the overall vectorization process, because even though you know a lot of people were more informed on the, the whole idea of evolution and uh, progression, know that you did, didn't just hop from monkey to person, um, there's still this overall feeling that that thing is a lesser version of human that, that is permeated through a whole lot of different cultural mores. And, and creating a vector of a monkey would give this sort of general opinion. They felt that, like, you know, you've just made up a bad human, essentially. We have a list of reasons why monkeys should not be on the list. <laughs> So it was the same deal uh, with many of the other design philosophies to them. In general, they made them more robust, but they, they uh, also tried to make them fairly compatible uh, in living environments and size and an overall for relationship environments and stuff, too. But I, I always kind of assumed that they appeared to be somewhat like their animal counterparts, probably not the more obscure genitalia, but enough that they would function together while still not looking like just that one part of you was human. Okay. Because that seemed like it would be a more peculiar choice on the part of the developers for the species to be like, okay, we're going to change every part of them except for that one little part right there. That part's going to stay human. Oh, I thought it was kind of like plantigrade to digitigrade. It could go either way. Yeah, um, and from a, from a storytelling standpoint, you certainly should allow that. And I can see three. three <laughs> Depending on the stories yeah, you're telling. Yeah, uh, I could see arguments either way to it. My, my initial thought just from a random brainstorming concept was that they probably swapped it over so that it wouldn't be standing out as the one glaring thing that was, wasn't changed. Because the implication <laughs> being, um, and this was the fear from a cultural standpoint that popped up, the implication being that if you kept them looking human, you were expecting these species to interbreed. Like they were originally designed for it, and that was part of the original design plan from the beginning. The scientists always expected them to interbreed with humans, and that's why they had human-looking parts. And that would oh. be the reputation that would then proceed down the line. Uh, right. And they didn't necessarily want to have that immediately attached to the species. So that's a, a racial story thing. <laughs> right, which, which for the original, um, there was a whole lot of this. When the, the species was first created, there was a whole lot of this dancing around the, um, how these two species were going to coexist. So even the reproduction thing, if you consume the right enzymes and go through the right treatment, this isn't written anywhere, but it was the kind of the random thought. Humans and vectors should be able to interbreed, but they actually need to have a little bit of treatment to make it work. 
there's like some mm-hmm. some processing that happens. The mechanical concepts are all there, but they don't, you know, the, the chromosomes don't really talk to each other unless certain things are introduced to the spectrum. Well, yeah, uh, vector genetics are so like tightly optimized. I would right. think it's that not, all it's those... not immediately compatible, but they can be through through injections and whatnot can be made compatible uh, to allow for an actual successful coupling to produce a child. Um, but there was there was all sorts of just cultural red tape attached to that. How are we going to introduce this? How are we going to start getting used to the concept that these two families are going to go together? What to tell mom? Right. There was a few things that happened. They never really got that far into that point because of other issues that took place, but it was something that was on the mind. Yeah, I did like the uh, standing out. Line. That, that kind of stopped us while we were listening. I think we just have the sense of humor of eight-year-olds, but <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So question I have is, why not Pulse? That one kind of stood out to me. Um, stood out. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. We're not even drunk. No. I think later on he talks about that Pulse is not necessarily the sexy, sexy, fun time sex corporation. That's probably Marsco. And that might have been where he was going with that. They're more about be all you can be. Wait. But straight laced Marsco? Yeah. Mother Marsco? Well. Whoa. <laughs> anything goes Marsco. They don't actually care that much. Not the corp I tagged for that. I know. Yeah. I know. He goes into it later. It's actually kind of fun. Spoilers, I've heard this before. Uh, uh-huh. But um, I thought Pulse did all the reclaiming surgeries, or at least had the patents on them. So that's why I kind of went there immediately. Okay, sure. I also thought that it would be like the digigrade and planigrade legs. Maybe uh, the junk is, maybe dogs get stuck for some dogs, and maybe some dogs don't get stuck, depending on how how things work out for that particular coin flip or player character preference. Uh-huh. You know what they say about a guy with digigrade feet? Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess another question is, do they make adapters? I'll, I'll post that picture. And are they alive? I Now I'm... I, I'm seeing kind of David Cronenberg little devices that kind of flop around. You keep it in an aquarium by the bed. <laughs> I think you jumped ahead a couple of questions already. Did I? Okay. I didn't have that question in there, but now I wish I did. <laughs> so that kind of raises the other, like, elephant in the room question. What is an obscure genitalia? We're talking like, yeah, yeah. I guess the sh- shark or lizard ones where like... The, oh, they're like the multiple ones. Like yeah, where they go in like two different directions. Or whatever. Or ducks. Okay. Or, or, ducks, or, or good point. little dinghies. Oh, Eggs. ducks. <laughs> ducks. Well, hopefully there aren't, there aren't pigs, are there? I mean, we have cows. I have to accept that there's cows, but there's no pigs, right? Well, canonically, there... There's, There's a lot no of list of what there isn't, except monkeys and um, okay. that one shark. So we don't know. There may be piggies. That one shark? Jaws? Yes. I think great white sharks are specifically, like, not vectored. Okay. This goes back to episode one. Two. Okay. <laughs> you were there. Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there may very well be piggies, but if they have obscure genitalia, we don't know what that looks like in, mm-hmm. in canon. Obscure genitalia sounds like a trait name or a band name. <laughs> or a band, yes. <laughs> I, have I have to point out near my here in Austin near near my work on campus, there is a a venue called the Hole. <laughs> so you have obscure. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> obscure genitalia tonight at the Hole. In the Hole. Uh, never mind. I'm sorry. Yeah. Next. So another question. Do your pushy friends and family ever ask you if you're planning on settling down and incorporating? I mean, you're not getting any younger. Uh, I, I think it would probably depend on what town you were in. Marriage in general is not as popular a concept as it was, at least not in the, the kind of canon that I go by. 
Marsco adapted it as something that was kind of more like a business venture over time. That was the feeling we got from the uh, the color text uh, in the back of Extended, is that it marriage, or what, what it's become, is more of a contractual incorporation sort of structure. Right. Actually, Faye Rin is married um, uh, through her business partner uh, in Faith's Fangs. You don't learn it in that novel, but you'll learn it in the next one. Uh, oh, interesting. And, and it's it's really just a friend of hers that's been running the same business for for uh, a while now. Actually, canonically, it's Elysium, who was the character from the... Uh, the first contract, the bird. In that contract, this is this isn't secret information or anything, but those contracts are all supposed to be canon to the overall lore of the game, right? Uh, I can't control who plays the contracts, but in terms of the actual game's story, Feyrin is of the party members that is on that contract for Stars of Orlandria. Ends up being the last survivor and saves uh, Elysium and gets her nurse back to health again. And they proceed to found the company that Feyrin is, is owner and working for when Fate's Fangs goes out uh and the two of them were actually married through marsco but it's essentially a, a business agreement and marsco does that because it's easier to invest in a, a set of partners that have an attachment to each other because they can help kind of keep each other from making dramatic decisions one person who has a whole lot of money might suddenly go off the deep end but if they're if they're bound through this thing called marriage to somebody else then there's another person to temper their decisions which makes them a safer investment so a chance to plug an upcoming product. Is there any of this going to be in the new fiction collection? Uh, uh, well, the, there is a, a chapter sample from the sequel, to, supposed sequel to Fate's Fangs. I don't know if it's actually going to end up being the sequel or not. It's kind of a tester at the moment, um, but it's a big 15-page section to it. Uh, it doesn't mention that bit, but both the characters are in there. Mm. And there's a few other bits here and there. I don't think there's any direct relation to marriage in it. I'm trying to think if there's one in either of them. I don't think so, not specifically. Uh, but the characters are, those those characters are in the, the Faith Fang sample. So, Wines, you are contractually obligated to keep me from making bad decisions. About? Uh, oh, oh, I see. <laughs> uh, uh, as a stakeholder? Yes, yes. Okay. That's all I really have to say about that. Uh-huh. Well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense that the concept of marriage might hang around but it's already changed so much since the original concept kind of rebounding actually since it was originally a like property negotiation interesting <laughs> point so can marsco ever repossess your child um i don't think so depending on the nature of the child uh the 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 only kind of canon for that that's currently written would be in the event of a blip that wasn't paid for Oh, right. So if you created a child uh, and got through all the process, and I'm not really sure how you'd get that far into the process without actually delivering the money. Like, I don't think they would produce it on credit unless you were extremely rich and, and had some kind of already good credit for it. But like there, there, there might be some precedent and I could see a plot being made for a blip being created and born and then not properly paid for or uh, paid for under false circumstances or something like the money was stolen. Um, well, it gives someone a lot of rope to hang themselves. Yeah, that, that might uh, that might that might be a uh, a possible situation for that. I could see um, it being done in the same situations where it could be done in any kind of uh, American situation where the family isn't necessarily capable of of raising the child because of funding, so it has to go to to like an orphanage or or to be cared for through the state through uh from a, from other service they all have degrees of that in different ways they might go to progenitus they might go to, to other ones like that uh or things like 
uh, abuse or other situations causing that, but that's more welfare than it is uh, the event of like a default on a loan. Uh, I think it's mostly that the person being used as collateral for loan collection is more like a hostage situation, which under an IRPF contract <laughs> isn't allowed because that's part of the IRPF's job is avoiding that sort of thing. But the, the other part is that the person doesn't have a set value except for their ledger, and their ledger can be drawn from. Like the, the it, you, whatever corp you're under citizen from can take possession of whatever your ledger's possession. So they can essentially own your social security and drain it as it's producing money. Um, I may have to unpack that one at length later. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, there's, I mean, there's a few little uh, back and forths on it that can be done. Um, but that, that, that would be the only situation that I can think of in that they were repossessing, in which case they wouldn't be physically taking the person. They'd just be taking their identity in the ledger system and pulling the money that it's generating by existing. So I hadn't considered the blip angle in any of these questions. So that makes the next question I have kind of almost pointless, but is it ever appropriate to file a trademark on your own cub? Well, you kind of do. And I can't, <laughs> so yes, quite a few situations where, <laughs> where it's appropriate to do that. Um, but yeah, that, that, that particular design one, if you're making a designer child, you can have a trademark on it. Personality wise, not so much. Cause that's sort of a random thing. I, I think to really answer that, you'd probably have to look into a bizarre legal precedent and in today's culture, cause you can file on weird things. Uh, hmm. in, a, in a lot of different situations. I almost understand copyright. I cannot begin to understand trademark. <laughs> yeah, uh, the genetic standpoint, yeah. If you make a custom body for, for a blip child, then you are, you are able to sell that or market that or as the case may be. This is Timmy TM. Yeah, pretty much. You wouldn't be selling the personality. The personality, for in order to be a blip, you actually have to fulfill certain, rather than being a bioprobe, you have to fulfill certain levels of, of genetic randomness involving things like personality. You're allowed to pair, um, they, they basically sample the chromosomes that you would have if you were making a real child, a real child, hmm. a, a natural child. And the ones dedicated toward brain production and stuff are untampered, other than to make it able to control whatever strange anatomy it's got. Timmy always wanted to be oh, a real boy. Oh, so the, the free will right. element. Yeah, so the idea is that you're not allowed to program the child's personality if it's a blip. Huh. Which is um, one of those kind of like, you know, you can't program its personality if you're a blip, but you're the parent, you're inevitably going to be programming it for the rest of its life uh, kind of thing, which is the same argument that is being had all over the world now as genetic progression proceeds. Um, oh, there's levels yeah. of problems. <laughs> so there's there's all sorts of things like that. But yeah, on the on the short term, you can uh, copyright a body. So so he was mentioning copywriting a personality as something that's not done. Yeah, right. So, so now I'm imagining a, a junk patent on like the terrible twos, and then trying <laughs> to extort all parents for uh, <laughs> copyright money. Are we talking about 2.0 yet? I don't, because that was a fairly big segment in ASR. Well, it was an illegal segment in ASR. It was the the, the whole crime of like thought taping, and that's in 1.0 as well because it's in the color text as again a crime. But mm -hmm. I think that if you're talking about like serious cybernetics, people pleasing personalities plugged into a bioprobe, then that would be a bioprobe and a fine product. But if you're calling it a blip. No, that would be one of the things that would prevent it from getting citizenship. Free will is a part of being a vector, and that's a blip is a vector, more or less. This is also make, making me think. I, I know I've of uh, I know I've brought this up before, but Anne McCaffrey's Ship Who Sang, 
about the person born with such horrible genetic problems that they had to be raised as a cyborg, which is so expensive that the state owns you until you've paid off your childhood, which... Now, in in this universe, the notion of something, someone being born with horrible genetic problems seems a bit less likely since that's so malleable. But I can still see it happening. Um, and, and the notion of you owe us for for your own genetic problems. I think, that's, I think the corp owning you until they don't anymore is kind of built into the tapestry of the game on a on a subtle but deep level. Yeah, that, that sounds kind of familiar. I suspect Progentis has a very large hand in making sure that those type of defects don't ever mature. Yeah, but but they could happen. I mean, they have great genetic engineering, but you still radiation probably still does bad things to you. And there may be some plate cases where you don't have access to the full panoply of vector medicine. Yeah, I mean, if you're out in the the Neptune belt or on the butt end of Ganymede, who knows? I think the question of like the financial punishment of the corporations repossessing your ledger and identity chip is something I definitely want to unpack during the IRPF slash crime and punishment episode down the road. That sounds fun and dark. I remember a short science fiction story in which this couple is being pressure sold a new kitchen set saying, well, your great grandchildren will be happy to pay for for, for kitchen appliances of this quality. <laughs> <laughs> So Wines likes very complicated hypotheticals. So this one is from him. Uh, welcome to PathCorp. All of your family is members and shareholders of PathCorp, as long as they're wolves. Is this a fairly normal arrangement? B, kind of tacky? Or C, put the board's heads on Pike's level of offensive? Uh, it would be pretty unheard of, I think, on the whole. Um, I don't I, I'm not going to say it's not something that ever happens. Uh, and this, again, is one of those things that I, I, I leave up to the the guides to decide how far they want to go to. In the official canon that I've gone into, a lot of the racial discrimination is mostly the product of serendipity. It doesn't really last all that long. And it's mostly on the individual level rather than the whole. The only ones that have a whole lot of, of kind of stigmata attached to them are things like the birds because they actually lost a whole section of their species and that's been a big kind of lingering weirdness throughout the, the solar system uh, and mice because they were created after the fact by vectors which makes them this kind of strange hubris. So institutionalizing that sort of yeah, you know, it's it's been done before. The cats have done uh, stuff that's kind of like it. Yeah. Um, but Genotype. in all situations, it was sort of like, where are you like, what are you doing with this? There isn't a cultural standpoint to go back to for it. It's not like they had a, a, a point where, you know, we're going to return to our glorious past where we were the masters of all. It wasn't there. They all came out at the same time. So you're trying to create a new narrative as opposed to to modifying or hearkening back to an old one. Hmm. Uh, in the in the cultural standpoint, so when some of them goes, we are we are the superior race, and we want everybody to be this. Everybody else looks at them and goes, yeah, but why? Or <laughs> how are you getting that exactly? Yeah, and it's been I think two or three hundred years since they tried a monocorp like that, and it didn't work. Uh, which was the 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 other thing about it too is it eventually fell apart. So there there were yeah. <laughs> Uh, there are there are precedents for the attempts and stuff, and I, I'm sure you can make tons of, of stories for it. And I encourage people to, to play whichever one is going to be a little more comfortable to to the ones that are doing that. But the the concept of like you can enter our kingdom as long as you're an elf is one that I would see a lot more popular in a fantasy game parallel than trying to do the same sort of thing in HSD because the the cultural warfare just isn't there to the yeah. same degree. Yeah, racism seems like kind of a slider that your game master can set where they want to. 
Yeah, there's not as much of it. I mean, there's probably more between cogs and, and biologics just because they have actual things that they can define as you are, you know, not able to do this as well or can do this better. But the uh, Look at between me, the rest I can take of my, my arm off. Um, it's also this has come up with the idea of the, of the species thing. Defining your family and species is something that we have in the rule book because it's easy for human players to recognize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I've actually considered creating a unique name for the sake of the the narratives, the the books and stuff. Because as far as the vectors are concerned, it isn't species. They're all just vectors. They they come from different families and they have different appearances, but you know one going to the other one is still just another vector. That's what mm-hmm. they call themselves. It's not necessarily the uh, the the speciological breakdown or anything like that. Um, if you need a greater definition of what that person is, you would then break down to maybe wolf or dog or something like that. But in general, it's just another person. Well, I I think part of my when I look at different species as somebody who has a degree in anthropology, I find the cultural differences between a wolf, a cat, a fox, a hyena, those would be really, really interesting. And kind of what would be the point if you're going to make a variety of different peoples, why would you just give them the shapes, but not have any of those cultural traits? Now, the problem is culture is transmitted socially. And so have a whole, you know, cats and dogs and foxes all living together, then they could very quickly end up watching the same pop stars, end up watching the same TV shows and erode the differences between between them. But kind of a, in a Skinnerian nature versus nurture thing, are foxes mentally different? Will they tend to perceive things in a different way than wolves do separate from fox culture or wolf culture if there was such a thing? We know there's some differences because they have different ingrained skills. There, there is a mindset difference, and with the races being as super minimalist as they are in in both editions of the game so far, uh-huh. that's got to mean something, right? And so I kind of feel like even if you blasted away the notion of no one ever has the idea of you know one species to be better than any other species, well, still pack animals might have an easier time interacting with other pack animals. Just, you know, they get along better. They have certain assumptions. They tend to jump a certain way. So a fox dating a wolf might be a little bit more just socially challenging. So, you know, the wolves might tend to to bunch up. No, they might bunch up with all other pack species. I mean, maybe wolves are better off interacting with hyenas or caribou or stuff like that. And foxes are better off interacting with, I don't know, what are other kind of single... Cats. Cats. Sure, foxes and cats. Or mongoose. They're pretty... No, I think those are pack animals too. Hmm. I I don't know. But but anyways, you you, you see my point. Yeah. And also, I'd like to to say that this was a family thing. Yeah, let's say this is wolf family that yeah, if, if you're a member of the family, you, know, you can keep inheriting your, your, your part of the family corporation as long as you stay in the species. Uh, if you want, if you breed out of the species, they're not included. That's not quite a national thing. That, that could just be a family thing. I think it's a little bit less nasty sounding in that context. But the children of the fathers would continue to inherit since there are no half-breeds. Well, we don't know that. Well, we know there's generally no half-breeds, but you can't really tell what the child is going to be unless you've gone into their genetic code and meddled, which is totally an option. Mm -hmm. True. Now, to play devil's advocate to the previous point, while a lot of the physical traits were brought in, it's basically a human's brain behind all of these. Uh There never was any real mention of either the technology or the ability to do brain scans or bring in 
um, some of the underlying instincts and behaviors. So a lot of that nature would all be starting from pretty much the same point, which is baseline human walking out of a test tube or walking into the brain scanner, I guess, at that point. Uh-huh. And then you go to kind of the overarching us versus them social group of every vector really is the corporation. If the corporation is taking the place of race or species, more race and say modern day or species and kind of the fantasy side. It's the new tribalism. Right. Uh, Would the corporation taking over that tribalism then become kind of the enforcement of the us versus them, meaning that the species doesn't really matter? Especially starting from Marsco, which seems very kind of gray and species blind. Like they are, Marsco is all vector and uh-huh. mother corp. Right. I, I, I feel like we have, we're having slightly different conversations because, again, I, I'm not thinking in terms of megacorps. And perhaps let's just leave out the corporation thing. I threw that in just because everything is a corporation in this game. Think of just in terms of families, in terms of, you know, grandma and grandpa, they sure do like their offspring being wolves. Um, and they happen to be a corporation, but fundamentally, this is a family institution. But, but that, that might not be the case. I mean, again, I would kind of like it to be the case because I like seeing cultural differences, not just, you know, we're all the same. You're just a hippopotamus and I'm a mouse. I think that's kind of that's missing out on something interesting. But it's, it's, it's legitimate. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's the truth. These are all just humans who have been given different bits and pieces of, of stuff. I, I think it's canon that you can play your character as being quite animalistic if you so choose to have uh-huh. like all the bird ticks or the fox's predatory whatever, whatever, or crazy dog loyalty or bunny, whatever bunnies have. I don't know about them exactly. Uh, or you can play basically a human. Uh-huh. And I mean, you can have reclaiming surgeries that might bring your personality towards one of those extremes. But it's really up to you as a player and the game master where the slider is. And there's absolutely no reason why there couldn't be an enclave somewhere where monospecies blocks can survive a little bit better uh-huh. or a colony where, or heck, an entire world, maybe all of Venus, where tribalism is a little bit stronger to your campaign. Sure, sure. It's very strongly suggested, almost rules as written, that Game the Reclaiming does tend to start adding extra ticks, especially if you look at the genetic crossover one that lets you reclaim something else Uh that specifically calls out that you will almost always start picking up some of the personality or some of the ticks of the additional species that you mixed in. Well, that's that's worth noting. Gray area, really. Yeah, I mean, clearly the, the, the game allows for either the big big city melting pot or the crazy grotto where everyone is a feral mouse and all worships the mouse king or whatever crazy thing or anything in between. Yeah, but, but 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 it's good to know as as a data point that single species collectives are rare. And I will accept that. Well, let's let's look at Gangs of New York, too. We like that movie. Mm-hmm. That's a very large city. It's a sprawling metropolis. It has racial enclaves and ghettos and private areas that are totally different cultures than the ones outside of them. So uh-huh. this is their pockets. And that can be totally an exciting encounter in your game that your uh, friendly vanilla play- PCs won't expect. Sure. But, but it should be worth keeping in mind that when you play somebody from that perspective, you're the odd person out. Which is fine, yeah. uh, just because you are not the norm. Well, to bring up another modern example, there doesn't really have to be anything for um, species or affiliation at that point to start creating some of these tribalism in-groups. I mean, if you're coming from a 
Longhorn family that bleeds orange, local college team, uh-huh. and one of the uh, children or nieces runs off and marries an Aggie, which uh-huh. is a different college team. God forbid. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's almost blood feud, just right off the bat. Actually, no one cares about that particular rivalry anymore. No, that that one did kind of die, but you get the idea. It was fun while it lasted. Right. Let's get back to talking about sex. Oh, yeah. So this one goes back to my, I think, our very first episode. I love the asteroid Eros. It's covered with craters and things that are all named after famous lovers and love gods. It's very evocative of something. I'm not sure what. So <laughs> what would you put on the wandering asteroid Eros? Oh, probably drilling teams. Depending. Ah, it's a pun. No, it's not. Uh, they just mine it. Um, I don't know necessarily how much of that was going to survive the, uh, uh, the the translation from one of the next. It really depends on who's who's naming things based on importance. So it's entirely possible at that point in the future, um, nobody would be concerned about it. Oh, I'm shedding a uh, single tear right now. The 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 tricky tricky thing about sending destinations in space is that space is fucking big, <laughs> uh, and it's it's really easy to forget that because you look at solar system maps and you go, oh, you know, there's Saturn, then there's that one right after it, it's just a few feet down the line, then the other one after that. There's ten astronomical units between Saturn and the next planet. It takes forever to get to. <laughs> uh, uh, so when you have things out on belts and stuff like that, you're not talking about a short trip. People might make that trip once in their lives if they like have a lot of money waiting for them on the other end. Um, so you're, you're more likely to visit the sex toy shop to name Eros down the street than actually creating a destination that people truck off to dedicating, you know, three months of their lives on a spaceship to go spend a week on, on a rock somewhere. Now, I want I want to sell this asteroid because I do like it. It actually wanders around the, it's an earth Mars transital rock. That's a little more approachable. A little bit bigger, but, bigger yeah. than Deimos actually. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I get your point. Space is yeah. big and rocks are not very exciting. Yeah, it's it's um, to, to get that feeling of remoteness, you wouldn't actually need to get on a spaceship for three weeks kind of thing. <laughs> you could probably just go off to the coast or if you wanted to, you can go into orbit where there's like a, a your own personal uh, you know, motel for the evening. That, I think, is a more popular kind of lover's destination. And I'd flirted with the idea of, of having these little um, little near-orbit uh, stations because the, the transcontinental flights are supposed to be really quick. And the, the view is fantastic. Yeah. So you, you, it's, it's like when the, uh, uh, the fifth element, when the cruise ship drops into lower atmosphere for the evening kind of thing. Um, you, you've, got, you've got space stations that are hanging out pretty close to the planetary drop point and the, uh, the transcontinental flights that can get you all around the planet about an hour and a half. They can hop up there. It's not a long trip. You just go up there for, you know, it takes you 40 minutes to get there from the station and then you get to hang out and, and kind of view the planet for however long you want to spend up there and then head back home. So has anybody made a bioprinter specifically for the adult entertainment industry? Probably tons. Um, I, that, that's one of those other ones that's, that's kind of like, um, take this as far as you want to. <laughs> I cannot foresee a, a future of this length where the ability to create life to your whim has proceeded as far as it gone, where that has not been done to some degree. How well it's accepted is, is definitely depending on where you are. Um, you're not allowed to build slaves is a general rule with with vector society on the whole. But at the same time, tons of corpses skirt the edge of it. Bioprobes are a, are a slave thing. 
Um, as long as you redefine what slave is, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Um, and of course, one of the other things that the, the theme of the area is if you've got the cash, you can kind of make people look the other way. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably been done. <laughs> the only thing I'm sure about with that device is it's probably a very specific shade of purple because there's that one, that one <laughs> shade of purple be. that everything comes in. What company makes the best sex bots? Uh, well, I mean, I guess with the robotic, it would really depend on, on what you were defining as best. <laughs> or but, bot. Um, I, I think there is this is this goes into the idea of marriage being this 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 concept that is of of somewhat deviated importance depending on where you are to it. Um, one of the things that I figure is just an onset of being able to have personalized individual technology uh, is that some people will just choose not to to engage with others quite as often as they used to. Mm -hmm. There's there's a, a a sense of this kind of gloom and doom that the future is heading to in our current reality. Um, for for being able to detach and completely remote yourself into to uh, other realities of fantasy that I think we're eventually going to have to face as a culture that in HSD has kind of been faced and progressed beyond. So people are more personal than they perhaps were. Um, there's this, uh, uh, it's mentioned, I think, in Core Extended a couple of times, but it'll probably be mentioned a little further in the Core World book that there have been stages in Vector history where they went the full you know full virtual like big chunks of people were disconnecting from from reality and and uh just creating life forms and, and ais to fill their needs and and not being connective and those have risen and fallen like fads over time uh fraught with their own issues so the current stage in vector history is one that's actually a bit more personal it's got that kind of star warsy pseudo tech to it mm -hmm. where this is really advanced but people are still kind of hanging out and playing cards <laughs> because they have finished an era of uh, extreme cyberization and that has has risen and collapsed uh as as is the case with various fads so there's no couch potato singularity right now it's more of a cycle it exists but the um but in general people are you know going out and engaging with each other because that's just that's what's on the upswing currently uh and at at stages before that conceivably there were parts where they weren't doing that what was the first half of that question? Uh, it was it was a two part question. Oh, the, the bioprinters. Yeah, I I, I was shopping at, at the local grocery mart, two thousand Toronto, uh -huh. and in the family planning section, everything was this very specific shade of purple, which is where my mind was going at that particular point in time. Hmm. Okay, touching on that and kind of looping back to a previous question, um, if you've got a three D printer that can basically kick out anything that there's plans for and there's probably going to be plans for everything you also kind of have to assume that at this point pregnancy and procreation is i mean th there's no real chance to it that would most likely be completely under conscious control uh, well cloning is not or at least the prevention would be completely under control yeah you could definitely decide whether you wanted to get pregnant or not i think that your bodies are are yours but it sounds like there's also some intentional randomization and genetics and things like that that hasn't been erased from the species see previous questions oh yeah i i, I don't mean anything about the mixing of the genes i just mean the actual conception yeah and i assume that there's you, you, you can totally choose whether you want to do that or not tiny little interuterine anti-aircraft guns and with the variation of the bodies and just the variation of the children, it really seems like you might not really, really, really would not want to conceive when outside of, say, a progenitus or a doctor's care. 
I actually have an entire question down the road about like the medical necessities during pregnancy and how that's affecting culture. Yeah. So we do loop to that like three questions from now. So hold that thought. Okay. I like the th- idea that maybe in the past there was the rise of the potato culture and it's it's talked about in song and silence sound and silence that asr has really pushed for like one world vr as a technology and that's just currently not trending so this is a culture a period that's maybe because of like pulse influence more leaning towards interaction certainly a better pc culture it's a a, a good model but 10 years ago might have been the rise of the sexbot armies well i mean potato culture will lead either one of two ways. Either you completely subsume into it and stop, um, or you start leading to boredom, which starts leading to unrest, which leads to a different type of social upheaval. And it really feels from the way that the description has been coming across that that's a very large social problem that has more or less been solved. Maybe the exact mechanism isn't called out, but it is a very consumerist society that's kind of ingrained and taught from birth that they've at some point kind of almost enforced activity through money. I think that we can be sure that Mars Co. is good at engineering social trends on a macro scale, but maybe on a period of like a few decades or something like that, it's harder for them to control these things. Again, that's probably a slider for your campaign. Yeah, I would would almost say that Mars Co. is much better at changing these things over decades uh, than they are in the short term, just because you can have a much lighter touch over a much longer period of time. And that really does seem to be Marsco's method of operation. Sorry, I was trying to imply that decades was like short term for a 700 year old corporation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Another rebellion against potato culture might be the question of just who are all those eyes watching? But, um, so long now um long long now what is mother's day like on long now probably long forgotten <laughs> oh, but, uh, breaking my heart <laughs> uh, it, it uh tricky i think uh a lot of the thing about that particular location is um the kind of sustainability of ideas and things like like you know a set holiday only really sustains if people culturally keep it alive um <laughs> But the, uh, the the thought that they have a, a, a close family connection um, is probably more related to, like, the tribe or area that you're in as opposed to um, who actually gave birth to you directly. It's, it's, it's one of those sort of, like, it takes a village places. And that was, that was the feeling I got about this, this kind of ancient, not quite agrarian, but, but close to society. Yeah, you'd likely have a dozen mothers, um, and you may know which one of them was actually the mother, but chances are they all played a pretty important role in uh, raising you and keeping you safe and teaching you how to use the ancient tech and stuff like that. You you might need to enlighten the listeners. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 um, of all the questions, I think this one didn't go where I wanted it to. I really wanted this episode to be a little bit more sniggerable. And I'm actually kind of pleased with the way it turned out. It's not very sniggery. Mm -hmm. This question, though, was my prime snigger question. So spoilers, not big spoilers, but little spoilers. Okay, so the Long Now is a grotto, which is a small enclave floating somewhere, I think, in the the Earth 
region uh-huh. dedicated to preserving technologies that could last forever, basically. It was an early idea to respond to the cataclysm that ended Earth. And actually, if you read uh, Atlas Obscura and other books, they address the idea of the long now currently. Things like the Mormon genetics archive, uh, genealogy archive, is a long now project. It is meant to outlast humanity. So in the long now grotto, they're practicing sustainable architecture. They're building forever tools, stockpiling genetic banks, future-proofing against another apocalypse. So it's become a sort of hidden enclave with an agrarian hidden population, farming the land in their grotto with their forever tools. They live in tribes. It's like an exercise in culture shock for them to escape into vector world. Very uh, Beverly Hillbillies sort of scenario there. Open quote. And the herds of subsapient animals that are hunted for food are actually capable of birthing vectors without vector parents and vice versa to maintain populations of edible and inedible meat in the event of scarcity, leading to all sorts of strange family trees, close quote. That's why I wanted to bring that one up. Because it's, it's hideous. <laughs> why, why do cows exist in this universe? Why? Do, sorry, why do sentient cows exist in this universe? And why does that place exist in this universe? I, mean, I accept that it can, but it's, it's, it's hideous. Again, it's, it's a model of culture shock. Oh, Bobby, your sister was delicious. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you must consume the flesh of, a, of another being, why not breed it to... To know it, to know and understand its place in life, and to in, to like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the cow can come th- up to the th- dinner th- thank table, you, Mr. Adams. introduce it. <laughs> Carol, meet the meat. <laughs> yeah, so bring I, me some more of those Irish cows. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an Irish accent. I'm sorry. Theor- no, I don't know what that was. Theoretically, the edible ones are not sentient. This opens up a lot of like crazy questions about genetics. Like, can a cow give birth to a fox vector? Or can a cow just give birth to a fox? I, I don't know. What are these banks of livestock? I, I don't know. Um, Genetic soup. Yeah. So this is a, a colorful place, and it talks a little bit in the book about that they're using some seriously old, old strange techno- genetic technologies that were developed just for this specific purpose. But I just feel it goes to a sort of fur affinity place in, in certain regards, too. And I'm just going to back off of that one. <laughs> Again, this is kind of a model of like culture shock and strangeness for people to escape from and have the most bizarre background possible. Okay, yeah, sure. That that's that's up there. And the, so I can go into the stars, and once again, I want to rebuild my herd of cattle by impregnating women and hoping the cattle come out. Her <laughs> <laughs> son, go into the hills and breed yourself a wife. <laughs> Oh, we broke him. <laughs> what if it's ducks? What? If it, what? What if it's ducks that lay vector eggs? The golden goose. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a big egg. <laughs> a furry red egg that hatches a fox. <laughs> I, I don't know how much of this we're going to keep. <laughs> I mean, if we if we do throw that back to say, world of darkness, that that's not totally <laughs> unknown. <laughs> Concept. So, <laughs> as long as we're on the the, the, the mother theme, could, could we just randomly gem in a clip of uh, R- Richard Chevalier giving the translation to the song of the Harpy Woman from Gentleman Broncos? Manimi, can you go back that far? <laughs> in the second book of the Cyborg Harpies trilogy, 
Trebonius seduces the Boar Queen by playing her an original piece of music on his harpy chord. Can you explain what that music was supposed to sound like? Yes, I believe you're referring to a piece entitled Gorgana's Lullaby, the uh, notes of which are too numerous for the human ear to decipher. I can, however, reveal the lyrics to that tune, which until now have been unpublished. That'd be awesome. <clears throat> Within my breast meat, there is a famine. No more sweets in the mammary cannon. You are Gorgana, my eagle, my queen. Your ovaries will destroy me. Collect me in your wings. I am just a man, and I want to breed. Together, we will learn to love. You gorgeous hag. You freak. Machine. Yep. You know, I think that's probably a good place to break since we're rapidly climbing over the one hour mark. And I can't think of anything to add to that sound clip. So until next time and until part two, uh, have a great Valentine's Day and catchy outro line. This podcast is copyright 2018 by Radio Free Demos, etc., etc., etc. Do 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 do